Hello everyone, this is Sakib Ali welcoming you to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. In India vs Australia, the historic contest, the series, uh, is less than six days old, but there's so much context and so much content that's floating around. And we have uh, a special episode today, uh, adding to you know uh, your listening uh, convenience whenever you can get to it, uh, to review the series. And also, in a broader sense, that some of the observations and questions that are uh, as part of the moving conversation, helping me unpack, is again a very knowledgeable person, no introduction needed, is Prem Panikar joining me uh, for the show. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Uh, hey, Sakib. Um, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm good, thanks. So li- likewise, it's an absolute delight every time. This is the second time, but I've interacted with you sometimes on Twitter. Your threads are quite informative. So again, like I said, no introduction is needed here, but someone who's new, uh, I don't know my listenership, uh, just give us the background of your relationship with cricket and the ball-by-ball uh, ball ball thread that you did in Reddit, which is now such a norm. So just uh, talk anyone through uh, your association with the game and what space does cricket occupy in, in Prem Panikar's ecosystem of now? Um. I'll keep that part brief because uh, it's ancient history. Basically, it's just that, you know, Redef launched towards the end of 1995. Uh, we've been working on it since about August, September of 95, uh, when the internet was actually opened up for public use. Um, we had a soft launch in December and a hard launch in January of 96. And if you remember... Uh, February was when we had the World Cup that year, February of 96. Um, What happened at the time was that because the internet was new in India, because nobody could quite figure out what the hell it was all about, we couldn't get anybody to actually join us when we went looking for cricket reporters who could cover the World Cup for us. Um, So time was ticking by. There was just about a week to go for the World Cup and... uh, uh, we had nobody on board. Um, so the CEO looked around and he remembered something about the fact that I used to play uh, cricket in school and college. And he said, look, I mean, we don't have anybody else. Uh, we need you to do this. Um, so it started off as uh, match reports, um, which basically were tailored for uh, an audience outside of India because there were very few uh, internet connections in India. In fact, almost zero. Um and uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, we tailored it for uh, people outside the country. And uh, we also were aware of the fact that these were people who were not able to watch the action in any form. So um, so we started making it descriptive. At that time, the internet product, or at least the received wisdom on the internet was because of slow download speeds and all of that. You don't you don't put content more than a single screen. Uh, but these reports were about 2,000, 2,500 words long and, and uh, people kind of seem to appreciate it. And at some point midway through the tournament, we had some feedback saying, hey, this is the internet. Uh, can you possibly give us uh, updates at a greater frequency? Uh, we were talking about it one morning and a tech, uh, our only tech guy at the time, a guy called Srikant, he said, hey, if you want, make a small box for you and you can type into that and hit send and it will publish. So if you want to do uh, an update in over or an update a ball, whatever, you can you can do it. So 
uh, it's the early days of the internet. You don't know what is right and what is wrong. So we said, what the hell? I mean, we have nothing to lose. Let's try it out. Uh, we did. And as a matter of fact, the servers crashed because of the traffic. So that's kind of how it began. And then I was doing um, live commentary and match reports and stuff. Uh, from 96 till about 2001, uh, towards the latter half of uh, 2001, at which point I kind of stopped. After that, I did one World Cup in 2003, but uh, that was about it. I, I um, pretty much had given up cricket uh, around 2001. So, yeah, that's that's broadly it. And now, uh, I know you're busy. You, know, you have a teaching course and you, have, you, have, you know, you, you, you're a columnist, but... Uh, what does uh, when does Prem Panika decide? Like you know, okay, this is a good series, and I may make some time for this on Twitter because those threads are still invaluable. I mean, I've been following a lot of those threads, and my favorite was India South Africa in 2018 because I was at work, and you know, I shouldn't say this, but a lot of times you are driving, and then you <laughs> at a red light you read the because to me that was more informative than just uh, with all due respect to Crick Info. I mean, I, I, yeah. So, what? When do you decide that you have this is a series that you can make some time for, or is it just mostly when you have actually time to do it? Well, it's a bit of both. I mean, uh, to the point about cricket for look, there are two different uh, uh, beasts, right? I mean, cricket for has to do ball by ball, and uh, from from having done that, I know just how difficult it is to both capture the action and also look into the nuances of what is going on at the same time. It's just not, uh, it's not easy at all. Um, I have the advantage that uh, if I'm posting a thread on Twitter, I can post, uh, I can let the action speak for itself. And I think also what is important to notice is that the, the the paradigm has changed from from the days when Crick and Four and us at Redif uh, used to do ball by ball commentary. That was for an audience that couldn't see what was going on and wanted to follow the action in real time. Today, uh, in fact, I was I was thinking about that when I was driving to Calicut. Um, you know, all I needed was my cell phone. I was logged in and I could follow Cricket Live. Uh, that's that never used to happen. So. From a point where almost 100% of your audience was unable to see the action to, we have gotten to a point where uh, at a conservative estimate, 85 to 90% are actually watching. Um, so they don't need to be told that this particular ball was driven through the covers for four or whatever it is. Uh, I think the value add comes when you look uh, outside of the immediate action, you look at how the play is unfolding, you look at the nuances, um, you look at, for instance, changes in field position or change in line. Or I, I, I remember one of, uh, I remember noticing uh, when uh, Rohit Sharma was, uh, th- there's a lot of curiosity about how Rohit would adapt to his role as an opener, particularly uh, in foreign conditions. And one of the things that uh, was immediately noticeable was that he had completely changed the way he normally uh, receives the ball, uh, whether it's in white ball or red ball cricket. He he was uh, his guard was more middle and off, and what that allowed him to do was uh, where where you are when you have a leg stump guard, your bat tends to automatically open up a little bit, which means the ball can flare off the edge. 
But uh, when you have a middle and off guard, uh, your bat is coming down a lot straighter. The bat face is straight back to the bowler. So the chances of that edge are much less. And if you're playing with soft hands, even the odd times when the edge is taken, it doesn't carry. So those are the kind of things that you notice when you're watching uh, cricket. And, and, and I found that those are the kind of things that people uh, sort of seem to want. Um, so on those threads, I just post when I have an observation to make it, it goes back to the classic uh, Richie Benno formula, formula, right, for commentary. He said, if you don't have anything to add to the action, just shut up. Um, that's, that's what I try to do. And to your question about how do I decide, it's, again, it's a mix of both. There are times when cricket is going on and I'm out in the field reporting or I'm doing something else. Um, also, it is, I think, about context. Um, I mean, India playing against South Africa, in South Africa, there is uh, there is a reason to watch. But if it is just an anodyne two-test series being played in India simply to uh, fill your calendar and all that, most of the time I find that I'm not even interested in watching. Um, you know, you, you, you get some random team. And, and due respect to every team playing cricket, but ultimately too many matches tend to sort of develop a certain sameness. Um, so I occasionally tune in if I think that there is a narrative building. And I, I, I basically am about storytelling more than just uh, writing reports. So if I see a narrative emerging, I might actually continue to watch. Otherwise, I, I kind of pull off. Uh, India versus Australia this time, there was a narrative even before the series began because A, you knew that in the time of COVID, uh, with lockdown, with all the protocols, with the bubble and all of that, it wasn't going to be easy to uh, to really play cricket at, at the highest level. Um, the previous series against Australia and Australia, there was all that talk about, uh, you know, Warner not being there and Smith not being there. This time it was a full-strength uh, Australian team. So there was a certain interest, at least for me, in seeing how India would shape up against that. So, uh, so yeah, context, uh, the larger story, all of that determines how much time I actually spend watching cricket these days. Sure. No, I think, uh, as expected, you unpacked this in, in, in numerous ways. And you know, I'm thinking, how do I go next? But I'll ask a very simple question, what you just said. And it reinforced me, actually. Uh, so, so, Prem, does... Uh, you know, in social media today, there's so many voices and everyone has an opinion, a lot of times strong opinions. And this may not be even a cricket question, but is narrative just a negative thing? Because I didn't understand the meaning to be in a negative sense, but what's used these days, or oh, that's the ongoing narrative, it has a negative connotation to it. So, uh, again, this is more like an English language, uh, you know, uh, question. But if you want to just talk a couple of minutes about that before we go into the Pujaras and the Sharmas and the Rahanes. About negative connotations, I think what I would uh, what I would point out is that uh, it's it's a function of the world that we live in. That words that have standard, regular, commonly understood meanings have now been uh, sort of increasingly. I suppose the word to use is bastardized or or uh, subverted. Um, Narrative is one of them. Uh, Think of the word liberal, for instance. I mean, it is used as a term of insult these days. I don't know why, but every time you say it with a sneer, 
it reinforces the thing that there is something wrong about being a liberal. Every time you use the word, uh, every time you use the word narrative uh, with a sneer, it's like, oh, somebody is just making up stories. And, and, and these negative connotations exist. Frankly, I've always been about narrative. I mean, I got into this profession because I love to tell stories. I love to go places, see people, uh, understand their lives and talk about it or tell about it. So, uh, so yeah, sure, there's a negative context. I haven't let it uh, bother me and I, I really don't care. And the funny part is when you do do narrative, people read and then people say things like, you know, this meant so much to me. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I, I keep going back to, for the importance of narrative, I keep going back to say things like, uh, there's a favorite sports writer of mine, his name is Gary Smith, and uh, his, uh, some of his best work has been collected in a book called Beyond the Game. Uh, there are, there are uh, stories about Tiger Woods. I remember there's a piece called Damn Yankee, which is a story of a man who was uh, uh, widely regarded as the heir to the Yogi Berra mantle. And then a photographer clicked a picture and his life changed forever. There's a profile of Andre Agassi called Coming Into Focus. Um, there are so many uh, absolutely uh, brilliant uh, sports stories in that book. But what I remember is there is this uh, there is this passage that he writes in the introduction to his, his work. Um, here's what he says. He says, sport comes to us in boxes, uh, the perimeters of our TV screens or the boundary lines of, and courts. As much as I enjoy what goes on inside these boxes, I've always had the urge to bust out of them. I've always had the feeling that the most compelling and significant story was the one that was occurring beyond the game, before it, after it, above it, or under it, deep in the furnace of the psyche. Conventional journalism couldn't always carry me up to those rafters or down to those boiler, boiler rooms, so I had to break out of a few of my own little boxes as well. That's what he says. And that's exactly how I feel about sports writing. Uh, descriptive writing is all well and good, but I think there is a lot more to it. I think what is happening in this, on the sidelines also tells stories. Um, I remember getting, you know, when, when, when India won at Brisbane, uh, there was that moment when Pant scored that four and there were the celebrations and there were the Aussies coming up to uh, uh, pat Pant on the back or shake his hand and all that. But the moment that stood out for me was, you know, Kuldeep uh, Yadav on the boundary line. He just couldn't stand still throughout that last over. He was, he was itching to get out there. And the minute that four was hit, his first act was he took that India cap out of his pocket and he pulled it on and then he ran onto the ground to congratulate Pant. I mean, this is a guy who has won matches for us, who is now doesn't find a place in a team that has lost, what, seven, eight people to injury and he still can't find a place. But look at that pride, look at that joy when he comes in. And for me, that's sport. So that's, that goes beyond just a report. It goes into narrative territory. And if people don't like it, I mean, well, they don't need to read it. That's, that's the way I look at it. No, that's, uh, that's actually quite, uh, no, it's brilliant, but it's also comforting. It's going to give me a second life because I honestly believe 
I'm no cricket expert. I'm a fan who has, you know, a time to do podcasts and, you know, my family doesn't mind me doing it. So when a guest like you comes here, you can, you know, analyze the sport better. But when I'm doing it with fellow friends, I always say this is an opinion making exercise. So I don't see narrative as a bad word. And thanks for elaborating that. And I'll continue to do that because it's, it's without an agenda, but it's a topic that people I think would want to hear more about. But in t- today's world, you know, narrative is like, uh, like I said, and you explained it much better. So talking about Kuldeep, that's an excellent point, actually, to, tip, uh, to get this conversation going on the actual series. That speaks volumes to me, what he just gave as an example, not only of the camaraderie, the culture, the pride, and all these are ingredients that goes without saying at the highest level, they should exist. So that's bringing the Kohli versus Rahane debate. While I'm all for it, that it's Virat Kohli's team and he should walk in back as a captain, which he would. So there is no agenda, but I think we can have a decent discussion with Ajinki Rahane. Uh, so using the Kuldeep Yadav analogy, I believe that you cannot change a culture within, say, six weeks or five weeks since Kohli left. It's still Kohli's team. He's probably won on Zoom calls. But I also think you can see Ajinkir Rahane's captaincy in a little bit of isolation, despite the Virat Kohli and Shastri's regime. They have been doing things for years. He just came in, but you know he still has to do a job in the field. So the floor is yours. How do you want to... Uh, where, where can you give Rahane credit independently because, uh, you know, the selection, the bigger process was all part of Virat Kohli, but we all knew this is not a surprise that he's going to be gone after Adelaide. So there's a lot of uh, debate on this and without any so-called, you know, agendas. How do we look at, you know, Ajinkya Karhane's, you know, leadership and, you know, this series win in isolation? And then we can bring the Virat Kohli culture because that's also, it exists. You can't rewrite something new, you know, like the Kuldeep Yadav example you gave. So the floor is yours. Um, sure. Uh, at the risk of revealing my, or at least I mean, hinting at my age, uh, I started watching cricket during the time of uh, the Nawab of Taudi. And uh, later uh, later on, when I, when I used to talk to some of the players from that era, uh, I was struck by one of the things that they said. Uh, they told me, uh, this is a paraphrase, but basically, their argument was that teams before Pataudi, when they went out uh, onto the ground to play against teams like Australia and England, uh, they did so with a kind of apologetic air. The, 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 the shadow of the empire that was uh, still loomed over them. And uh, then, you know, the, the uh, Pataudi came in and that, that, uh, that whole uh, team was packed with you know, princelings and, and Oxbridge-educated uh, guys. There was Pataudi, there was Salim Durrani, uh, Abbas Ali Beg, uh, MLJ Sima, people like that. And and if you go back to footage from that time, you see them walk out with that collar up, the uh, full sleeves buttoned down. Uh, they had an air about them. They had an aura. And uh, Pataudi built that team and then... It became Wadeka's team when Pataudi uh, was dropped for form and, and basically, I mean, his time ran out. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because if you think about, I mean, you use the phrase Kohli's team, which is what made me think about this. Uh, it, it, there was a Ganguly's team and then it became a Dravid's team and briefly a Kumble's team. Then it became Dhoni's team. Dhoni handed it over to Kohli uh, briefly. 
it became Rahane's team. It's not like every new captain who comes in reinvents the team or or gets rid of all the old players and comes comes out with a new unit. Uh, cricket is basically like any team sport. It is a continuum. Um, teams uh, leaders pass the baton on to each other, and sure they they kind of uh, put the imprint on the team, and that is that is how strong uh, leaders usually are. But I kind of rebel when I hear about Dhoni's team and Kohli's team and stuff like because th- th- this thing kind of, it just evolves from one to the other. Change in leadership does not actually, it's not ship of Theseus territory, really. Um, so there is that. As far as Rahane versus Kohli uh, in captaincy is concerned, again, it, it, this is not a criticism so much as probably a uh, reference to a mindset that is pretty much ingrained and again it is not just the indian team i think if you if you watch us play cricket if you if you go back to old footage and by old in this case i mean even month to the last test series or the last few uh, test series and just watch what footage you can find you'll find a commonality it is this when two batsmen with reputations are out there and they've played say two or three overs you'll find you'll see that the field starts to spread the captain whoever the captain is it's not just Kohli like I said even before that from from the time of Ganguly you've been seeing this uh, the field starts to spread there is an attempt to sort of block the runs there is a in, in Dhoni's time it was celebrated as being a defensive form of offense whatever that means dry up the runs and the batsman will make mistakes we're basically giving agency to the other guy you make the mistake and hopefully there will be someone around to cash in has been the way we lead teams most of the time and i have always found that peculiar another another peculiarity about uh, how we are on the field is if you notice when you have the last recognized batsman and the first of the non-recognized batsmen or tail enders or whatever you call them uh, I mean, you can't use the word tailender anymore because you're number seven, number eight, and all that are capable of hitting 50s. But let's say the second half of the batting order comes in, the bowlers start to come in. You'll find that we will invariably spread the field when the recognized batsman is there and allow him to take a single or whatever and, and then try and attack the non-recognized batsman. These are constants in Indian cricket. There are other teams around the world that do the same stupid thing. And it is... I've never been able to understand that for the simple reason, look, if you've taken five wickets, what makes you think you can't take a sixth? And 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 you do this when the team is, uh, the batting team is on 90 for five or something, and you're still spreading the field. Uh, which is one of the fundamental differences that I always notice when Rahane leaves. His instinct is to attack. He will keep the field drawn tight. He will have men in catching positions. It doesn't matter who the batsman is. It doesn't matter whether that guy is batting on 0 or 50. Uh, He will give his bowlers a chance to take wickets. Um, And that, I think, is a feature of his captaincy that I don't see or haven't seen in most of the captains that have gone before. Um, Having said that, yeah, it's a very small sample size. He's led in about five games so far, four of them against Australia. But if you look at it, four against Australia with what? uh, One, two, uh, three wins and a draw. That's not bad at all. 
and a pattern starts to emerge. So um, I think I think that is the fundamental difference. Like you said, Kohli will walk back into the team and he'll walk back in as captain. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of fields are set against uh, England when, when the Test Series starts on the 5th. But uh, from this so- small sample size, I think this is the one thing that I picked out about Rahane versus Kohli. Then, of course, there is the other uh, obvious factor that Rahane is very undemonstrative on the field. He's very quiet, but he is proactive. Um, he doesn't go up to the bowler after every over to have a chat, but when he needs to, he goes up and you can see him uh, discussing plans, trying to figure out what the bowler wants and and then giving him the feel that he wants. Uh, again, if you look through the recent CDs, you will find there are times when Rahane sets a, a, a late slip in place, but Ashwin, for instance, when he's bowling, he's not quite sure that he's going to get enough bounce to bring that leg slip into play. And I've seen Ashwin go up to Rahane or Rahane come up to Ashwin and and there is some talk and immediately the leg slip goes away. And after a while, when Ashwin figures that, yes, he has a chance in that position, he gets it back. So I think these are the differences that I've I've, uh, noticed between the two. Um, I'm not getting into the territory of which is better, which is worse. But I think the the goal of a captain and of a fielding team particularly is always to see that the opposition does not get too far in front of you. There will be times when they are in front of you. That's that's part of sport. It happens to every team. But you don't want them getting so far ahead that you can't catch up. Sure. Um, I think we sometimes let teams get too far ahead of us. And okay. Yeah, no, I'm just getting excited here with so many follow-up questions. So let me ask you something that just, you know, from your response, uh, I gather, and maybe it's not a good question, but I'll just put it out there. So can, when we say this is a result-oriented captain, or that's the cricket we've been playing, so can a captain mm-hmm. be defensive in his bowling tactics, but at the same time, the same captain can be aggressive while he's chasing or batting approach? Is that a notion of, and using that uh, using that criteria, uh, can we fairly say that maybe with a larger sample size, Virat Kohli is definitely all for results. He doesn't mind chasing big targets because that's what they've been saying. Ravi Shastri, we don't mind losing as long as we lose with intent. But then in a small sample size, we see Ajinkya Rahane is a much better tactician aggressively with his fields and his bowling changes and even the likes of Bishan Bedi, who used the word Murid, you know, in his recent description mm-hmm. of Rahane. So yeah. use that analogy, if, and if you find the question fair, and you know, just uh, give your views. Um, sure. I mean, it, it just to just to again uh, dial down things a little bit. When we say that Kohli is all for results, that's kind of the job of a of a sports person and of a sports team, isn't it? I mean, you you don't go out there not wanting results to go your way. Every single captain who leads a team out onto the field, including, um, say, for instance, Angelo Matthews uh, with Sri Lanka against England, they want the results to go in their favor. The question is, how do you go about achieving that result? Kohli has his methods. Like you said, uh, he trusts uh, that his batsman will be able to do better than the oppos- uh, opposing batsman. His philosophy uh, condensed into one line would be, we just need to score one run more than those guys. Um, so Rahane is the other, uh, I think, uh, is the polar opposite. 
this argument seems to be from from again i keep emphasizing limited sample sizes argument seems to be the less runs those guys score uh, the less we'll have to you know score in our turn so uh, is it possible for a captain to be a defensive and aggressive with the bat yeah certainly uh, different batsmen have dhoni is a classic example dhoni's uh, uh, dhoni's idea of captaincy uh, both in say lois and in test cricket was to kind of hang back uh, bowl the tight line dhoni uh, pretty much if you remember again i mean australia was one of the sufferers of that tactic where you would hang the ball outside of around the fifth stump uh, with a packed off cordon and just dry up the runs uh, figuring that sooner or later somebody will try to do something to to break the shackles and that will lead to a mistake which will lead to a wicket um that's another way of 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 achieving the result i guess i i remember though that i mean when i say that uh, rahane in the field is aggressive um i think i'd like to add the fact that i'm expressing a personal preference i like that i like the fact that you you're not sitting back waiting for the other guy to make a mistake you're forcing the other guy to make mistakes so uh again i mean it's one instance out of many but for instance if you if you look at the second innings at brisbane uh, australia is in the lead you're playing at the gaba uh, batting on the fifth day is always supposed to be difficult but here you have cracks opening up your goal would then be let's try and chase as little as possible let's slow down the scoring rate so that australia's declaration is delayed all of that will probably be going through the mind of a of a batting cap uh, of a fielding captain uh labushain and smith were at the crease smith was batting the way he normally bats looking completely untroubled for the most part labushain was actually scoring if i remember correctly at over a runner ball uh he was playing his strokes very freely um i think he had four or five uh fours in that in that score of 24 or 25 i think it was um and what does rahane do is still two slips in a gully and there is a man uh, catching on the leg side and siraj bowls that one ball um perfect length angling in towards the off stump forcing uh, labushain to 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 play takes the edge and goes to that slip um uh, in in those circumstances most times you would expect to find just a single slip this went to second rohit sharma so yeah it's like i said it's my personal preference i like that form of captaincy sure. uh, which which so let's uh, again a uh, uh, little bit of an agenda now i have a question i have to get this in so deep dive when i was discussing with uh, one of my good friends that you know prem panicker is going to be on the podcast and you know we broke down ajinkya rahane versus virat kohli so a loaded question here because i'm going to use some analogies i've always in my ecosystem started comparing virat kohli's captaincy to imran khan maybe not nuance in tactics but larger than life and the kind of aura and you know we live in a social media age the huge fan following the mm-hmm. true global superstar and what not so with that also comes maybe fear and respect and you know and that can also be part of workplace you know how a team reacts to a manager at work Uh, who goes out mm-hmm. for lunch and plays cricket with them but then a manager who's more like a principal like you know senior person who's really good at his subject and you know how we respond so this is what my friend said he said look this is proven in leadership courses outside with two segments 
then there is the Kohli way, and then there is the Rahane way. Maybe it's a short sample size. Everybody just got more involved. They took more ownership. This is not a dig at Virat Kohli. And even Ravi Shastri mm-hmm. seemed more of an alpha figure because, or maybe he always was. You know, there are a lot of things going on here, you know, uh, because with Virat Kohli, he seemed like uh, the coach who was a spokesman at press conferences. So now I've added three layers to it. Shastri's role and then the two leadership styles. So the team maybe responds more to a laid-back leader, which again, not to say that Rahane is uh, uh, weak. And similarly, when they don't respect, it's not to say that Kohli is a bully, but Kohli is more alpha and, you know, that's the work environment they've created. So can the two uh, styles of leadership have this drastic uh, uh, an outcome where it's becoming more and more visible? Again, you know, uh, I don't want to be slammed for this, but I think it's very evident. You know, the Kohli, Jordans and Imran's, you know, they have this aura about them. And then they have the Ajinkya mm-hmm. Rahanes and the Pujaras, you know, the everyday guy, you know, who, you know, sure. and, you know, seems different in their approach. So if you say wait to it, uh, you know, which way are you leaning in this kind of a comparison? Well, uh since uh, you mentioned that you and your friends were talking about leaders related to this particular team or this particular sport, but in general, you're right, there are two ways of leading. Uh, you could be the alpha figure. Uh, you could have both the stature, the accomplishment, and the ability to dictate and have everybody follow your dictation. Or you could be the persuader, the quiet uh, person who tries to take everything along, takes inputs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, you said, would the team respond more to X rather than Y? I would slightly rephrase it and say, I think teams will respond differently. If you if you remove the Kohli-Rahane equation out of this conversation and just think in terms of leadership, again, I kept uh, pointing out that, I, that when I have an opinion, it is my personal opinion and it is based on the kind of person I am. Uh, I've been in leadership roles in, in uh, editorial offices. And the first thing I pretty much do whenever I take uh, charge of a particular editorial team is I get everybody together and I make sure that they know that they, they own this thing. I cannot have a situation where everybody is waiting for me to instruct them on what to do because what happens if I'm not around? I need people to take onus. I need people to understand. So. My way of leadership would be I discuss common goals, common objectives, uh, strategies to achieve those goals and those objectives. Um, I make sure that people know what their roles are, what their responsibilities are, what is expected of them. And then I step away and let them do it. And and what I basically tell people and, and people who work with me will tell you this. What I tell them is when you get into trouble and you need help, uh, come to me. But don't just make coming to me your first instinct whenever something goes wrong. First, try to solve the problem. If you can't uh, come to me for help, I think that's that's what you were driving at when you're talking of two different leadership styles. Uh, the, the the kind that sort of is laid back, and I don't use laid back as a pejorative, but more as a as a as a way of life. Uh, you don't feel the need for drama and for flourishes and uh, stuff like that. And the other is the alpha leader who sort of is such a towering personality that he just pulls everybody along in a slipstream. Um, what is right? What is wrong? Which gets you more results? 
I don't think there is any definitive answer, frankly. I don't think, uh, you know, you can you can parse that the fun of cricket, and, and, and you keep saying this every now and again, that you're not an expert. None of us are. I mean, what, what, what qualifies somebody to be an expert? Even if you look at former cricketers, for instance, yeah, they have played the game, but they played the game in certain situations, in certain conditions, against certain opposition. Uh, today is a whole new world. Everything has changed, or at least so much has changed. Uh, different pressures, different uh, sort of conditions. I mean, most of the players who were in the commentary box during the India-Australia series, uh, most of them would have no idea what it means to be playing T20 one day, uh, limited overs one day, and test matches another day, and be expected to perform at that high level throughout. Nobody would have any. So all of this experience, expertise, and all of that is pretty much underway. More broadly, I think sport is for fans. I think we are entitled to our opinions. There is no right opinion, wrong opinion. I think everybody is entitled. I don't think it's either nobody is an expert or everybody is an expert. And that is fair enough. You're following something. You have strong thoughts about that. And, and, and you express that and that's good. But uh, leadership-wise, yeah. I mean, what I would, what I would uh, say is I don't think it is respond more. I think it is different leaders have teams that respond differently. And I'd also... Uh, say that when you have an alpha leader, there does tend to creep in this thinking of let's leave it to the alpha. Let's moving past Kohli. Think of the era of Sachin Tendulkar, right? What what was our collective mindset? As long as Tendulkar is there, we can win. Once Tendulkar goes, we can't win. Well, Tendulkar is no longer playing cricket, and we're still winning games, aren't we? So, yeah, I mean, very very well said. So. Uh, again, not at the you know, risk of repeating myself. I think my last question was a little ambiguous, but you handled it with great care, and you know I'm sure the listeners would enjoy. And but I would further elaborate. What I wanted to really ask as an extension was here. You know, fine. You explain. You know, this is not Kohli's team or Dhoni's team. That's a job they have to do, and you know that's how we label them. But we can all agree <coughs> the processes in place. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, are a byproduct of Kohli, Shastri, how, you know, they work in the off-season in the camps and the pipeline created by NC and Rahul Dravid and the influence of IPL and the rich infrastructure BCCI has. So taking all that in place, because that's how you play cricket, uh, this Indian team plays the cricket. But then my question is, can a new captain who's interim captain come in and maybe do things differently out of the process? And that's where I was trying to get into it, you know, because... Everybody says it's so-and-so's team and it's their process. Process gets you, that's a word that really, you know, got our attention in the Dhoni years because it's all about the process. Uh, the the changes you felt that Rahane did while fielding and, you know, going about selection, can they be independent of the process? Because that's where I think we can culminate this, uh, this discussion and move for, further in the podcast. But I think that's a big question I had in mind. How do you isolate the results from an already existing process? And while results say things were done differently. Well, I mean, think of Tim Cook uh, taking over from uh, somebody of the state, sort of Steve Jobs, right? Uh, Apple had certain mindsets in place, certain processes in place, but this is now Tim Cook's Apple. Uh, it's no longer Steve Jobs' Apple. Um, can you can you walk in and influence change? Yeah, every single. Uh, every single uh, sort of facet of human life that involves uh, leadership, this happens all the time. Leaders change. 
but so what what does happen or what i think does happen is that uh when you come in and you take something over like rahane had to do uh, at multiple times he's done this before once against if i'm not mistaken zimbabwe then one uh, solo test match against australia and these three uh, test matches he can't topple the system overnight and neither should he because that only leads to confusion uh, as he's part of the team he would probably i mean he would not probably he definitely would understand the ethos in team under his uh captain under kohli uh and when he pre- prepares to take over what he will be thinking is okay there are things that that i need to leave unchanged and there are some things that maybe i will do slightly differently so you're not making any radical changes that upset the balance of the side or 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 completely uh sort of freak the uh freak your colleagues out what you're trying to do is make slight incremental changes or slight deviations um you use the word process i mean it it, it reminds me of a pet peeve uh, earlier we had you know a manager come coach who was basically there to facilitate net sessions and make sure that your uh, rooms were booked and your flight tickets were booked and all of that now you have uh, a ton of coaches you have pretty much as many coaches traveling as you have players and one of the things that they have brought into the game is this the uh, execute your yorker uh follow your processes look every team from 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 the time we've started playing team sport they have processes uh, to do things they have uh, you know they know uh, for uh, for example i mean it's not like you suddenly invented how to do how to how to bowl a yorker or something and 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 you start fetishizing it and you start saying i executed my bowling plans what do you think teams did before uh i mean teams planned they they executed their plans to a greater or lesser degree depending on how good they were and whether the conditions suited them and stuff so that that, that jargon actually becomes confusing jargon always obfuscates um to the core of your question can can a rahane come in and make mythos i don't think so uh and i don't think he would want to because he's been part of this team ethos it's not like he came in from outside and took over he's always been part of this indian uh uh test team so he knows the thinking he knows the processes he is uh, as vice captain he would have been uh with virat and with uh, ravi shastri during and, and with the other coaches during team uh, discussions and strategy planning and stuff like that so he came in with an awareness of what already exists and maybe he made the slight tweaks that that suit his personality or suit his leadership style and i think i think that's that's about it and he didn't ask anyone to shave right so they still have the beards <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i mean i don't know what it is with the indian team and beards but uh, that's that's a different uh, podcast yeah, altogether exactly so again i mentioned a little bit of ravi shastri a uh, lot of observers mm-hmm. uh, believe that he was seen as a clear uh, alpha leader here because you know not that you know rahane needed to be alpha his strengths lie elsewhere and it's not a dig at rahane but do you feel shastri was more visible because he said again we are we again uh, going in the narrative territory but what's your observation on his role and uh, discount the speech because you know at the end a lot of things can sure. can come out but overall his role while the series was active 
Well, funnily enough, you remember in the first test when we got bundled out for 36, uh, I think if you look at the social media feed of that time, uh, there was a picture of Ravi while wickets were tumbling all over the place, uh, blissfully asleep in the dugout. And uh, I remember a lot of people were commenting about that. I saw that on my feed. Uh, they were saying, I mean, what kind of coach are you? Uh, now it is like, it's it's a classic uh, uh, comment, right? That success has many fathers. Uh, I don't think Ravi's role changed fundamentally. I remember I was watching uh, Ashwin's uh, various, uh, uh, I think he did a series with the R. Shridhar, the, uh, the fielding coach. Um, and in one of them, I think there was a reference to how well before the series started, sometime in July, I think it was, that uh, Ashwin had called uh, Sridhar and some of the other coaches and said, we're going to take the offside out of the Australian uh, uh, batting lineup. Uh, we're going to deny them the offside. Um, I think that's what coaches do. I think they think ahead, they, they plan. Uh, the, the 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 alpha presence of Shastri, I think, is a post facto uh, rationalization because one of the uh, one of the things that I can't get away with is we've always had coaches. So at least let's let's put it this way: for a very long time, we've had coaches, and we've had good coaches going back to the time of let's say somebody like a uh, John Wright. Um, Greg Chappell is a, is a, is a bit of a uh, fraught subject, so I'll skip over him. Gary Kirsten, uh, those coaches have brought something to this Indian side incrementally, uh, to the Indian, uh, to the to the way we approach cricket, particularly when we are playing overseas, and they all formulate plans. They discuss the plans with the batsmen, with the bowlers, with the full unit. Um, it's not like we invented planning after we lost the first test. Uh, it, it happens all the time. And yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that, look, let's face it, the team as is, has a certain, the team and the captain, uh, Virat, has a certain comfort level with Ravi Shastri. They stood up for him. They were the ones who said that he needed to be reinstated. So the BCCI bent procedures, if you remember, to make sure that Ravi Shastri remained the coach when his uh, contract was up for renewal. So clearly, there are things that he is doing that works for the team. There are reasons why they like like having him as opposed to somebody else. It's the BCCA. They could have hired pretty much anybody in the world. Uh, money is not an issue. So clearly, there are things that Ravi is doing that is working for the team. And I don't think he started doing it after uh, the first test uh, disaster. Um, should have been throughout. So look, after a win... There will be a lot of, you know, um, guessing and second guessing and, and, and trying to fix or trying to credit X, Y, Z with the sole, um, you know, all the credit that is due for the victory goes to whoever it is. Uh, that's, that's normally how we, we parse, the, uh, parse the result. And, and um, for my part, I think Ravi has played a role in this team. Uh, he has... Uh, there have been upheavals, the Kumble issue, for instance. Uh, there have been good periods. There have been bad periods. I think it's 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 part of every uh, every coaching tenure. So, and, and you're right. I mean, uh, I think the jury gets louder depending on which side of the jury or you know decision making you sit on. If India would have lost here badly, 
I don't think we would have anything pleasant. Exactly. But now, yeah. you know, uh, the Shastri detractors have to listen. Look, I told you so, but I still think this doesn't undo what, you know, someone's qualms were before. But at the same time, due credit should be given because this is historic. So on that note, India has never, you know, I mean, cricket is our, uh, I mean, the the sport that captures our imagination. And I always jokingly said that you can get a crowd at the Kotla by just telling that on the big screen, we'll show Tendulkar's best innings. And I think thousands will just come with popcorn and just, you know, samosas and sit there. That being said, uh, how far does this, or how long does this test go in reinforcing whatever interest that has been lost for test cricket in the last decade or so? Because, you know, now there's T20 and there's so many other ways to entertain yourself in cricket. So is this series going to be a, a poster for bringing back uh, fans to test cricket, grant, uh, provided if, they, if we had lost fans. I don't know what the numbers are, but o- overall, uh, from a very high-level perspective, what does this do uh, to test cricket in India? I think this, this particular series can help, uh, help get people back into test cricket. It's not that people don't follow test cricket. It is that people don't go to the ground uh, for five days like they used to. Um, I think that the epitaph of test cricket has been written way too many times and uh, the epitaph writers have been consistently proved wrong. I think the problem is not that people are losing interest. Look, there was a time when there was very little that we could do. There was one movie that would release in a month and then maybe if you're lucky, uh, your town got a test match. And so that's, that's, that's about all the entertainment options we had. Today we have more options and we know what to do with. I mean, I don't even have to, if, if, if for instance, the India-Australia uh, series had turned into a dud, there were at least two other series going on at the same time that I could have tuned into if I wanted my cricket fix, right? So I think the problem with, with test cricket, particularly for India, is that we don't really market test cricket the way we market ODIs and T20s. Um, for that, the TV channels, the the BCCI, uh, the, the advertisers, everybody goes flat out and test cricket is almost seen as an afterthought. Uh, there isn't that kind of a marketing effort. Look, shortly, uh, Australia and England are going to play the Ashes and you will find packed uh, houses. India and Australia and Australia, even with COVID, you're getting crowds of 15, 20, 25,000 people. I don't remember the last time you had 25,000 people in a ground in India when we were playing test cricket against the best in the world. Uh, why do you suppose that's happening? Why do you suppose an Australia gets crowds or an, or an England gets crowd, uh, crowds, whereas in India we don't? It's not just because there are other uh, entertainment options. It is not just because uh, we don't take adequate care to provide facilities. These are all valid reasons. These are not the only reasons. I think one of the fundamental reasons is that we don't build that interest. Um, I remember, uh, for instance, I think it was during the first test. Um, I don't I don't buy physical newspapers anymore. I read all my news online, but I'd gone to the market to buy some vegetables or something and there was, um, I was passing a newsstand. So I just picked up two, three newspapers at the time. I remember a time when the Hindu, for instance, if there was a test match, there would be three pages full of stories. Uh, your sports pages usually were for the Hindu were four pages. 
when the test match, it would go to six or seven. Uh, I picked up a copy of the Hindu. I picked up a copy of the, the uh, Times of India. Uh, in fact, if I look around, I can probably find that and, and uh, uh, you know, take a photograph and send it to you. Uh, Times of India gave more space to a, a horse racing event than it gave to the cricket match on that day. The Hindu had one sports page, one, with the test match taking up some space and pretty much everything else jumbled into it. Uh, and ODI, yeah, we'll get full page coverage. T20, we'll get two pages. So it's, it's people are not coming for tests because you're not giving them a reason. Also, you're playing a lot of uh, test matches. The way you schedule them, it's almost like an afterthought. We have to do this, therefore we are doing this. The only reason we're playing so many tests now is because there is a world championship of test cricket that... Uh, is going on and and uh, you know you have to it's 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 mandatory to schedule these test matches otherwise we what have we been doing in the past it would be five t20s five odis and maybe two test matches so how do you expect people to get interested in a two test match series it's not even a series it, it doesn't tell you anything there is no story there is no narrative but imagine what you can do with an india versus australia uh, australia has been coming to india for what 50 years and has managed to win what one series, and we won two in two years or three years. Um, the India Australia uh, rivalry, marketed properly, should outdo the India England rivalry today. Because yeah. I mean, it's producing phenomenal cricket. It's it's every single time these two teams meet, the the cricket is outstanding. Uh, we're not marketing it. We don't. I mean, the the the, the industry, which is the BCCI, the television companies, etc., don't care enough. So why would the people care? See, you, you talked about social media. One of the things that social media teaches us is it's easy to build hype around something. So if you're not hyping it, it's because you don't want to. And people go where the hype is. And I'm sure there are like financial calculations behind it, right? Because uh, maybe there's a short-term vision on rate of return. Maybe you get more. Again, I'm I'm out of my depth here. If I what I'm about to say, maybe there's just uh, a better financial outcome with the marketing of T20s and and the white ball fixtures than uh, drawing a revenue from TV for Test matches. I think you you you've said it, but I'm just giving uh, what I think could be yeah. the reason. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's far more financially uh, viable to have three uh, T20 games in the time that it takes you to play a test match. Uh, simple logic. Besides the fact that T20 attracts more advertising, uh, even LOIs attract more advertising than uh, than test cricket. So, yeah, there are financial reasons. So let's just say, look, I mean, for financial reasons, we are not particularly interested in test cricket. We do it because we have to. It's just one of those chalo yebi kar type of things. But let's not then talk about why are people not interested in test cricket. Sure. That's my point. No, I think that, yeah, it's pretty valid, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we are already up to the hour mark. If you have time, we can go with a few questions still uh, in, in, sure. my, in my toolkit. So, okay. Uh, so Ravi Ashwin is present on social media and uh, it was always, you know, a delight uh, during COVID time when there was no cricket being played. But now uh, this up-close uh, exposure, you know, to the guarded mm-hmm. Indian 
locker room and some of the things that fans really wanted have come out at this time. So is it a coincidence? And you also advocated on your Twitter account that, you know, go watch the episodes. So the, the consumer is, uh, despite all the cricket, you know, uh, infrastructure we have, this is the closest I think some of the fans have felt. So your view on this new mode of consumption and how much more do you want more of it? Well, I totally love it. I mean, before Ashwin, there was uh, uh, Chahal who was doing that little uh, thing. Though It was more in fun without into insight and what is actually going on behind the dressing, uh, behind the scenes in the dressing room and stuff. I totally love it for this reason. Look, the more we, we see what is happening on the field and all of us are curious about what is happening behind the scenes. For example, a lot of your questions have been about, you know, what, what what is the planning like and what is Ravi Shastri's role and what is what is a new leader uh, when a new leader comes in? What is the dressing room like? These are these are things that intrigue all of us. And uh, back in the day when I was reporting on cricket, one of the advantages that I got was that I would get to spend time with uh, the players of that time, of that era. And uh, not all of these conversations were for the record. So there would be a lot of uh, talk about how uh, how things were being planned or what was discussed and, and who said what and all of that. And it helped me understand things a lot better. Uh, I need not necessarily have been able to write everything that I heard, but the fact that I could get that glimpse behind the scenes helped me understand some of the things that were happening in front of my eyes. Uh, I think as fans, everybody deserves that. Everybody deserves a look at, uh, I'm not saying all sorts of team secrets should be aired in, in public, but to get a sense of how a team is, is thinking and planning and what they are up to and all that, that's what made Ravi's uh, three, uh, Ashwin's three uh, episodes on the three compelling, because he was talking about the mood in the team, what they were discussing, what plans they were making, uh, how they were coping with the series of injuries and all of that stuff. In fact, funnily enough, uh, while you were asking me that question, there was a ping on my phone and that's from, I'm subscribed to Ravi's, uh, Ashwin's channel. And I think Ashwin has just posted uh, another one in the series and this one is about Shubman Gill. And I saw that and I was thinking, oh God, as soon as this is over, I want to go see that. Uh, I think this should happen. I think there should be, I'm not saying open the doors of the dressing room and let everybody see everything. But I think for fans to engage more with this site, these kind of things help a lot. So yeah, I'm 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 terrifically glad that Ashwin is aware of the power of social media and knows how to use it. And, and of course, I've done a few podcasts for this series, and there was a last one with Himanish Kanju, and we talked about Pujara, Pant, and Rohit Sharma in detail. So and again, mm-hmm. as a prep, you and I talked, and we cannot discuss every player. So I wanted to talk about Shardul Thakur here. This is a guy, again, in this loaded Indian bench, may not play a test match for a long time or may never play again if, you know, depends. You know, I hope he does, but, you know, that's the kind of depth we have. So talk about his impact and he's, consider- he's, he's seen considerably as a white ball specialist. So what he did that day, you wrote about the drive, like people compared to the drive, yeah. Tendulkar's drive, the six of Pat Cummins. And uh, one of the right. most important partnerships of the series, if not the most important. So, talk about uh, Prem Panikkar, the fan. How you saw that moment and what you'll re- recollect of this as we go away from this moment. Because that, that, that really, I think, not changed the series. But that was as instrumental mm-hmm. couple of hours as any between Washington Sundar and Thakur and his impact on the game. 
yeah actually shardul takur's uh, uh, what he did out there is interesting for me because from at least personally it came as validation of something that i've always held we tend to label people just because somebody does does well in white ball cricket we say he's a white ball specialist uh why has jadeja been out of the side for so long i would if he is fit i would have him as an almost absolute must pick for any test side uh, unless unless it is you know uh, let's say the conditions are completely unfavorable and i can't really think of what that those those set of conditions would be where jadeja would not be effective i can see him in both an attacking and a defensive role why does he uh, why does he not get picked almost automatically because he has been labeled a limited over specialist uh, shardul takur is a limited over specialist what does that mean really i mean are you a bowler who is capable of hitting the right lines hitting the right lengths moving the ball around if you are capable of that then why are you a limited over specialist it so happens that you got picked for limited overs you got picked for that because you played in the ipl and you showed what you could do against some of the best batsmen in the world so you got picked into the indian team next thing you know if you don't want to pick somebody for a test side because you have other alternatives that's one thing but to keep somebody out simply saying this guy is a white ball player it it, it gets my goat all the time if you don't play somebody in a test match how do you know that he's not a test match player this guy can bat very obviously and he's not he's not a tail ender by any stretch of the imagination the shots he played were straight out of the top draw uh one of the criticisms with him was that he tended to leak runs and it's a fair criticism because he tends to bowl three four very good deliveries and then he'll suddenly stray in line and length and that'll be a four ball and that can always hurt but if you look at that last innings at uh, in 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 isben he was bang on target every single time he was effective so if you, if you see that a bowler has most of the skills that you need but there is this one problem of not concentrating enough or uh, you know not 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 being able to close out overs well you work with him on that you don't just relegate him to the sideline saying okay this guy can't do it. and one of the things that i liked for instance when shardul bowls is when uh, ashwin and and bumrah would walk him back and you know keep him calm and focused and all of that that's that's what you need to do you don't just put people away uh, in mod ball saying oh you know what this guy he'll bowl five good deliveries and then uh, you know bowl a bowl a four ball and give it all away you ask yourself why that's happening and you work with him uh, you work to make him uh, better at that right for me yeah it's it's unfortunate like you say that guys like shardul and sundar and natrajan uh saini even or who knows may not play test cricket at least in the near to medium term future uh and what will then happen is that by then they will be pretty much nearing their own use by date uh it's the unfortunate side effect of now us having a problem of plenty but uh, for my money look here's the here's the thing right how often have you heard this uh, phrase there is no alternative uh, the tina factor as they call it when tendulkar was around we said what happens when tendulkar goes there is no alternative to a sachin tendulkar when we had the famous four or the fab five or whatever the sevag uh, dravid ganguly tendulkar lakshman playing for our side we all uh, you know 
wo sackcloth and ashes when these guys started retiring because we said that's it we were never going to get back those glory days again but cricket moved on new players came in they are performing very well i think the one lesson that this tour has taught us or should teach us is that the tina factor is just plain wrong there is always an alternative i hate it when and it doesn't matter whether it's cricket or whether it's politics or whether it is whatever you hold up one person and say there is no alternative to this person and and i start uh, you know uh, gritting my teeth in, in sheer disgust because ultimately let's face it nobody is indispensable nobody yeah, the show, somebody else will come show will go so, on true uh, so for me shadul takur is my answer any time anybody in any context says there is no alternative All right so another question that uh, we had for you uh, was last time you were on you and I talked in depth uh, about the intent and pujara so that really doesn't escape mm-hmm. him and there was a press conference i don't know if you saw ravi shastri and uh, jinke rahane yeah. took questions from i think prespin for the indian media and there was a question about That's pujara right. that will the you know intent uh, or the debate over strike rate go away and i was hoping for a close and shut case from shastri and he said debates can go on but the let the boys enjoy the moment so that again that could be interpreted in many ways because shastri was so complimentary called him you know uh, the ultimate warrior and everything but uh, i expected as a pujara fan and also as a cricket fan that you know let's let's move past this strike rate debate and intent debate so i don't know if you heard the uh, message how do you interpret that uh, response from the indian coach i heard the message and i think it's uh, you know it's funny uh, virat has also been very complimentary uh, but there have been times also when these exact same people not rahane but uh, ravi and uh, virat and all that have they don't actually point to pujara but post match conferences uh, there will be this thing about you know we need to play with more intent and some of our batsmen need to play with more intent and all of that stuff uh, so i think from from water unlike earlier i'm not in touch with the team or or you know privy to what is actually happening inside i i prefer to keep my distance but uh my sense is pujara is like god really uh you only rate him when you're in trouble you have an exam coming up or you have some 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 tough times coming up and you suddenly remember him the rest of the time it's kind of a yeah well uh sort of thing i think i think the real issue with uh pujara from pujara's point of view or pujara's game point of view is i have no problem with pujara playing the way he plays i think it is necessary to make sure that bowling teams don't break through at either end that's exactly the role that rahul dravid played uh and and throughout cricket you've always played that role not just in the indian team in various international teams i think it is a necessary role to play i think one of the reasons why pujara's style of play attracts so much negative attention is that it's fine to hold one end up but sometimes you take the wind out of your partner's sails as well because you're playing all six deliveries i would personally love to see him rotate strike a little bit more uh, he has the skill and he's shown that he has the skill to play shots when he wants to Uh, i remember pat cummins's face after that uh, second of the three fours in succession that he scored and cummins really looking bewildered and wondering where the hell that came from uh and 
I mean, he has he has all the skills he needs. Personally, I would I would so love him to be able to rotate strike a little bit more. But I think the real problem with Pujara is he has a role which is to ensure that a bowler who's got one of the opening batsmen out does not then find another easy wicket and and suddenly you have a cascade. You have a the domino effect uh, kicks in and everybody starts collapsing. His role is to prevent that. And he will be effective as long as the batsmen around him are also not playing like Pujara. Mm. Everybody is going to defend the hell out of things, particularly in a test match. You've lost the test match because time is just running away with you. And you haven't moved the game forward. So, I think in those places where Pujara becomes the focus of negative attention, I think if you look closely at what actually happens during that time, it is that Pujara is not scoring. But the other guys are not scoring either. And that becomes, that, that kind of magnifies the fact that Pujara's strike rate is, you know, at least in the early middle part is in the 20s, uh, at best in, at, at around 30. So, yeah. Could, could it be the function of, again, you know, I'm a big Pujara observer. I've become part of the Pujara activism of last five years. I'll admit to that, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. So could it be the function of, uh, I'm talking his comparison with Dravid, that Dravid was more elegant. So the memory always, you know, remembers the leap front foot forward, the exquisite drives, you know, he was a more aesthetically pleasing batsman because I was looking at the run scored by fours. Pujara has a slightly higher percentage uh, than Dravid, that how he gets his runs from boundaries. At the same time, the dot balls also, I think Dravid so far in the comparison, you know, if you compare a full career to Pujara's existing career, his strike rate is 42 so I think it's not only his method. I think the way he gets his runs maybe not as pretty or pleasing. That probably, in my view, in my humble view, it adds up to to the to the narrative that not only is he boring, but you know he's just you know killing the game. Again, this is coming from extreme uh, white ball fans. And Rahul Dravid did not get this flack. He probably did, but that time there was no Twitter, so we didn't know. We had to maybe read, you know, elsewhere to find this that criticism. So I think that's my view, which adds up. I think. To the Pujara myth. <laughs> yeah, well, since I'm doing this extempore, I don't really have the time to go look up which match this is. But I'm <laughs> fairly certain it was in a match in Australia where Rahul Dravid, uh, not not at the start of his innings, but in the middle of the innings, suddenly just couldn't couldn't seem to buy a run for love or money, and and uh, he took 21 balls, I think, uh, before he scored a single. And when he did score that single, the entire stadium broke into applause, and Rahul Dravid actually raised his bat. I think uh, you will, if you if you look at uh, YouTube, uh, Rahul Dravid uh, acknowledges applause for single or something. You will find it. Uh, nostalgia is a wonderful thing, right? I mean, once a person is no longer playing, you only remember uh, the good bits, and then you compare it with somebody who is actually. You say, oh, you know, in the days of X, Y, Z, this used to happen and now this is not happening. Look, Pujara is not Rahul Dravid. It so happens that he comes in at number three and he is playing the same role for India that uh, Dravid was supposed to play. But they're two fundamentally different batsmen. And as far as the aesthetics of, of, of how you're scoring runs is concerned, I would argue that Rishabh Pant is one of the most anesthetic of batsmen in, in in the sense that, I mean, he gets himself into the oddest positions. I've never seen a batsman flat on his back after playing a pull shot, uh, which, which which happened in the dying moments of the uh, Brisbane test. 
but it doesn't matter i mean he's not there to paint pretty pictures he's there to do a job and this way uh shubman gill is incredibly pleasing aesthetically and that sport right i mean you you take football for instance some guys leave you breathless with their dribbling skills and some guys are very utilitarian they just move the ball up the field and pass it on to their forwards and 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 job done uh, i don't see why somebody has to be like somebody else or play like somebody else pujara pujara just just let him be um i was i was actually i think i wrote that line or i thought of it i don't remember which but i was thinking that there will come a time when you know the the sort of obdurate defense that hanuma vihari uh, put up with with an injured hamstring there will be times when we are playing real guard cricket we are desperately trying to save a game and we will miss that sort of that sort of dedication that sort of commitment and there will be times if if you take pujara out of the equation now and you fill it up with all these wonderful stroke makers there will be a time when we wish that there was a pujara at the other end to make sure that wickets didn't fall in a heap so i, I don't know i mean i am does it matter that nobody in the present team actually plays like sachin tendulkar or vivias lakshman i mean where's that grace where's that uh, you know vipi kind of uh, style of play that lakshman uh, almost patented actually he didn't patent it it is also the hyderabad uh style which you had azhar and before that you had uh, people like jaisama and all of that but why do we constantly need somebody else or something i've never been able to wrap my head around sure so let's wrap this up with the australia question you know because they're also part of the equation you know a lot of us again mm-hmm. a lot of uh, cricket experts and fans like myself we we didn't see india winning a match i'll be honest you know so this is a yeah. great result in that terms of you know okay i'll happily be proven wrong so the question here is a bowling world class bowling attack through the series you know we were looking at the numbers through the media how this attack you know has four guys who have taken so close to 1100 wickets between them so now within mm-hmm. year and a half they give away two historic 300 plus chases one to england and headingley and now this one again uh, you know still a world class bowling unit but uh, uh, how do you see nathan lyons role in that some call him the greatest off spinner currently but then uh, you think the indian batsman got the better of him uh, and uh, is mitchell stark the weak link again we jump to quick conclusions with one result could james patterson if healthy would have been a better option by the way he did play i think at headingley so uh, unpack it the way you feel is more you know most accurate on the aftermath of this you know great series Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at uh, Nathan Lyon, for instance, after the first test, we were all hoping that uh, Ravi Ashwin would bowl like Nathan Lyon, weren't we? He was almost unplayable in that uh, that particular game. These things happen. I mean, I remember a time when Mitchell Johnson, uh, people smirked uh, whenever Johnson came on to bowl because he seemed to be all bluster and no, you know, uh, in that classic phrase. all hat and no cowboy and then he reinvented himself and he became unplayable uh mitchell stark has had a bad series It doesn't make him a bad bowler uh, all sorts of bowlers have uh, bad series i think there are things which again goes into you know these these one of the problems that we have is that players are not really forthcoming about what is happening uh, with themselves 
and so we can we can only judge by what they do on the outside i mean who knew that glenn maxwell for instance was going through depression he is one guy who's always got a smile on his face always seemed to be enjoying himself on the field and then suddenly he takes off because he says i i, I just can't take it anymore i'm i'm incredibly depressed clinically depressed we don't really know i mean i don't know what what went wrong with stark uh, throughout the series he was not the bowler that that uh, you expected him to be um i think also since pujara was the previous question look the guy played what 930 odd deliveries in the series can you imagine the effect that has on a on a bowling unit no matter how good when you have this one guy who just refuses to go away uh it can tire you out not just physically it can tire you out mentally because you're trying pretty much everything you know you're trying every line every length every uh every variation that you have and there's this one guy who's just playing on and on and on or you have a guy who can't bend and a guy who can't walk and they play 42 of your overs all of this is going to have a cumulative effect on no matter how good a bowling lineup is bowling lineups work when you're going for them even us for instance i don't know how how for instance our bowlers would have reacted if there was a sizable uh, stand at some point say 40 50 overs uh, without the fall of a wicket or if you had your tailenders batting you know 40 overs like like uh, ash and uh, hanuma vihari did so i don't think that this particular result negates the fact that australia has a very very good bowling lineup um i don't think it it necessarily questions whether nathan lyon is the off spinner that he is touted to be uh, i always have a problem with best in the world or best of all time and greatest uh, of whatever uh, uh, g80 uh, kind of comparisons because every single day is different and uh, a bowler who was like, like i said i mean nathan lyon bowled beautifully in that first test and and from then on uh, he was he was not as effective was that because something went wrong with him or was that because the batsman figured him out and decided to play him in a particular way one of the things that you notice about the way indians played uh, uh, nathan lyon including pujara who otherwise was intent on defense was that they always came at him they never allowed him to settle into a line and a length that he likes so yeah these are the, it, it it's the it's the thing about cricket really and it can happen to you at any stage of your career particularly in these days where video analysis is possible and there is all this you know there are so many minds thinking about your game and try uh, figuring out how to take it apart what happens is that you tend to bowl in a particular fashion and you start getting results and others start studying you your your potential opponents start studying you and figuring out that right this is your uh, this is your game so how do i disrupt it for example did you notice that uh, josh hazelwood who in the first two test matches just couldn't be uh, even in a sleep he was hitting that exact same length but by the third and fourth test matches he was losing his length a little bit because the indians started standing out of the crease to him in fact i think in the final test one of the commentators was suggesting that uh, tim pain come up to the stumps why i'm not sure that that tim pain who, who wasn't doing too good a job even 
standing back could have would have managed to cope but that's not the point the point is there is always you do something and then others figure out how to counter it and then you you suddenly realize that what what has been burnt into your muscle memory etched into your muscle memory is no longer working now you have to go back and retool your game and try and figure out what you're going to do in such a situation and i think some of those guys uh lion for instance uh, and even uh, stark they'll need to now start looking at videos of their performance and trying to figure out why exactly it didn't work i don't think i mean we can say that if if pattinson was fine he would have made a difference how do you know uh, when when cameron green came into the side for instance before before he actually played i remember that uh, most of the expert opinion was because of his height and because of the bounce that australian wickets normally provide when he hits the deck from that height it's going to create extraordinary bounce and see any sign of that did you so i mean it's it's kind of like i don't think this attack is has been devalued simply because they lost the series uh but yeah they have problems they'll they'll probably need to work on it they they it's it's mitchell stark who can tell you what's going wrong with mitchell stark maybe he was tired maybe he wasn't able to put an effort i, I there was there was this uh in the in the sydney test for instance uh if you remember the post test session until then stark was looking incredibly ordinary then something seemed to fire him up and there was the spell of about three overs where he looked almost unplayable and then he again went back into his you know uh, sort of anodyne uh, bowling so i mean at this distance i don't know if any one of us can figure out what exactly went wrong um no i think you're right fast bowling yeah. is such a physical physical task and you know uh, brisbane and sydney were separated by what made four or five days and then you know yeah. pujara stone bowling at one end i think it can really you know start having effects pat cummins was deadly but my observation was since sydney uh, sorry after sydney he wasn't the same in brisbane you know his speeds were slightly down but again you know i don't have the numbers to back it up i'm basing on you know over some overs that where i noticed he looked little you know below his excellent self but i think that's what the whole series is you know it's a war of attrition and and physicality plus skill so let's yeah, wrap this up happen, sorry right i mean uh, if, if if you think about uh, uh, sydney uh, these guys had to do a hell of a lot of bowling and and one of the one of the standout features for me in this particular series at least the back end of this particular series was the number of overs that the, the indians consumed which basically means making them uh, bowl and cummins i mean cummins is a fantastic bowler and he would be doubly effective if at the other end whether it is stark or hazelwood whoever was his bowling partner we keep saying that right bowlers hunt in packs uh if if the guy at the other end is not able to take his share of the workload if he is not able to uh to bowl the way he normally does then it is double pressure on uh cummins i mean he's already carrying a heavy workload on top of that he is not getting the penetration at the other end that will help him be effective how many times have we seen uh, say for instance a bowler at one end bowling a very tight uh, controlled spell that the batsmen are not able to get away and the bowler at the other end gets the wicket uh, it's the same thing i mean you have to think in terms of bowling partnerships and i think one of the problems that cummins had was that he really didn't have a 
dependable strike partner towards the latter end of the of the series i think the bowlers were just just mentally and physically drained and uh couldn't support him comments just kept coming at you all the time but the others i don't think were adequate in support yeah no i and, think uh... and i think it's also a factor of the way indians batted right i mean pain couldn't even think in terms of giving cameron green enough overs to 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 at least relieve the burden and let his his premier bowlers rest i think cameron green bowled what eight overs or so yeah he 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 really didn't have much of a i think uh, you know, much of a longer stint i think he was using two or three over spells at max yeah you're right yeah no, go ahead yeah I, i in fact if i remember correctly he bowled two overs maybe in the in the uh, run chase yeah he was i think brought as the first change i think on the final day i think that was it and then we didn't yeah. uh, see him bowl yeah no again so, uh, this, this again i think this very topic could have at least a dedicated 30 40 minutes on it because you know the impact uh, a long series has on bowlers and how attritional it has been my second time using this word in the last minute but i think uh, thank you very much uh, this again is a podcast that could have lasted 3 hours but i only booked an hour and we have already used we are already 30 minutes into overtime so thank you thank you prem it was just uh, very informative i mean i'm looking already looking forward to the editing when i'll re-listen to this again without you know listening to what i had said and i hope uh, my listenership enjoys uh, you know this analysis which is again we kind of took a departure from a traditional player by player and test by test because you know we all know that's in the books i think we looked at some key points and uh, i apologize if i missed some points but i think that's the best suited questions i had for prem and of course uh, we hope he can uh, join the podcast you know again in the future you know whenever he has time to you know to do that so on that note thank you very much and i absolutely enjoyed it uh thanks again um i mean always fun talking cricket with uh, fellow enthusiasts so uh, absolute pleasure